Thank you, choir and orchestra, for your ministry. And greetings to all of you on this Thanksgiving weekend. I want to welcome all of us at Center Street Church, those of us here at Center Campus, as well as those joining us online. A few weeks ago, I preached from the book of Ecclesiastes, a book that I consider to be highly relevant to our day and age. Now, at the outset, the writing may appear to be cynical or fatalistic, The author of Ecclesiastes even makes statements that contradict the rest of the Bible. But as you pay close attention and listen to the heartbeat of this book, you will come to a different conclusion. King Solomon, the author of Ecclesiastes, is painting a picture of a life without God. He's offering a here and now, this worldly perspective of life. If all we have is this 70, 80, 90 years here on earth and the candle goes out when we die, it produces such feelings of futility within all of us. And that's what Solomon is trying to capture in the book of Ecclesiastes. Two key words are repeated throughout this book, meaningless or vanity, and the phrase uh, chasing after the wind. Here's a warning from personal experience after you read this book, you will be tempted to use these two words often in your conversations. Meaningless and chasing after the wind will make its way into your vocabulary. I call it the Ecclesiastes effect. Now, the word used for meaningless at its root means smoke or fog. It's speaking of the transient nature of life, that nothing in life is permanent. Chasing after the wind speaks of all of our quest, those pursuits that we think would somehow satisfy us, but has only let us down. You cannot grasp the wind with your hands, and so is our life. You can't grasp its meaning altogether. It is utterly enigmatic. And the thesis statement of Ecclesiastes is, life without God at the center has no ultimate meaning. And this weekend, we are once again delving into this book. And I know some of you are a little bit nervous. You're wondering, can there be a Thanksgiving message in what seems to be one of the most pessimistic books of the Bible? Am I not supposed to put you on a guilt trip today for not being thankful Christians? Well, today's sermon is not a typical Thanksgiving message. But when I finally land the plane, I know that we will receive a message that will help us to celebrate thanksgiving more meaningfully. The book of uh, Ecclesiastes may seem to offer a pessimistic view of life, but there's also a thread of joy that runs through this book. For this reason, some call Ecclesiastes as the Philippians of the Old Testament. The Hebrew word for joy or gladness is used 17 times in Ecclesiastes. So amidst the gloom and despair, this book surprisingly resonates with joy. There are five wisdom books in the Old Testament, and Ecclesiastes is one of them. And it has been said that the Psalms teach us how to worship, Proverbs, how to behave, Job, how to suffer, the Song of Solomon, how to love, and Ecclesiastes, how to live. There are relevant searching questions in this book surrounding the meaning of life, which all of us have wrestled with. 
And the profound wisdom that flows from this literature from centuries past continues to enrich us even today. No wonder Solomon was called the wisest person who ever lived. I'm going to ask us to stand as we read our text from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 to 15. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What do workers gain from their toil? I've seen the burden God has laid on the human race he has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear Him. Whatever is has already been and what will be has been before and God will call the past to account. Lord, we look to You for meaning and purpose in our life. For we know the futility of the things that we chase after and how they ultimately let us down. So help us to find our life's meaning and purpose in you. And even today, I pray that your message will come clear to all of us, no matter what seasons of life we may be in. Pray that you will personalize this message for us, that we will hear from you. We commit this time to the leading of your Spirit, and we pray these things in the powerful and matchless name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. When God made the universe, He ensured that everything about it is good. God instituted the various seasons in nature with a definite purpose. And think about this. God could have programmed the universe like a thermostat, a fixed temperature of a comfortable 21 degrees all through the year. We will then live in a planet where there's no seasons. Would that be good? You know, some days when it's minus 30 and you're scraping your car, it may seem like a good option, but believe me, it's not good. Seasons bring variety. Every season has a beauty of its own. Richard Blackaby writes, the beauty in the way God designed the four seasons is that though each one is distinct, they all work together to bring life and growth. Spring, summer, fall, and winter 
all have a flavor of its own. And we need them all. One season cannot exist without the other. They work together to bring life and growth. Now granted, not every part of the world has four distinct seasons. There are some parts of the world like ours where we experience all four seasons in one day. But nevertheless, seasons in nature are no accident. They have been orchestrated by God to bring change. So Blankaby goes on to say, God loves order, but he also delights in diversity. So that's what ref is reflected in the seasons. There is an orderliness and a predictable pattern that goes with it. But at the same time, there is variety. We see the kaleidoscope of colors in the changing sceneries. That's nothing but God's creativity at work, and it is stunning to behold. The seasons tell us that things won't remain, remain the same, but change is around the corner. And what applies to nature also applies to life as well. And that's the message of our scripture text. Just as God has planned seasons in weather, He has planned seasons in our individual lives as well. Life has its springtime, and we look forward with excitement to new things that are about to dawn. In the summer season of life, we work diligently in warm weather. A fall season is a time of harvest. It's a time of reap, reaping, and that's what we celebrate during this season, the season of Thanksgiving. And then comes the season we don't like very much, winter. And that is a metaphor for life's hardships. And I don't think the seasons of life have much to do with our age. I know 80-year-olds in our church who have married and entered into a spring season. And I know teenagers who are enduring a long winter as they battle with depression. The creativity of God is displayed through the seasons of nature. And we see the same in our life as well. It may not be linear like as in weather, but it is not random either. Because God is behind the scenes orchestrating these seasons in our life. Now, just as the world is not a thermostat or a greenhouse with fixed temperature, so is our life. If we all had a say in this, we would probably choose a template for life that looks like this. We will be born into a perfect family. In good health, with great natural talents and abilities. We will do well in studies, get excellent grades, move to university and graduate with distinction. Get married in your 20s, find a good, well-paying job, Buy a nice house. All our children will turn out well. We'll go on happy family vacations. Our married life will be bliss. We will retire early and travel around the globe. We will live up to 90 years and die easy. Isn't that our definition of the good life? I tell you, God has a much better life in store for you, even though it may not come close to the template that you have in mind. But if you are following God's path for your life, I can tell you, your life will never be boring. Solomon writes in our text in 
Ecclesiastes 3 verse 1. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. We don't live in a random half facade world, but everything is God-ordained. Every aspect of our life has a time and season charged with purpose. So the first eight verses of our passage are in the form of a short poem. And Solomon here is talking about the breadth of life's activities. He lists 14 contrasting pairs that are opposites. A time to be born, a time to die. A time to plant, a time to uproot, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to keep, and a time to throw away, and on and on. And because this is a poem, we should be careful not to overanalyze it. Some of these pairs can be understood literally, while some of them carry a, a metaphoric meaning. But what Solomon is doing is using a literary device where polar opposites are presented side by side as a way of embracing everything that lies in between. So a time to be born and a time to die captures all of life's events that happen between life and death, the whole gamut of activities. So the listing that we see here in this uh, poem is a comprehensive, all-encompassing view of life. It gives us the totality of experiences that we all go through. If I were to make this more practical to our day and age, this is what Solomon is communicating in this poem. You know, in a large church like ours, we have people going through a variety of seasons, different experiences. And Solomon is speaking to all of us. There's some of you, you were blessed with a baby just this past week. And there are others of you here, you lost a loved one this past week. You know, we, are, we have people here who are all excited to get married. Maybe somebody proposed to you recently. And there are others of you here who are in a rocky relationship that is about to end or has ended already and you're still reeling from it. Some of you, you went to the doctor and the doctor gave a clean bill of health. And others of you who received a serious diagnosis just this past week. Some of you received a promotion at work. Others of you lost your job this past week. Some of you are doing well financially. Your investments are doing great. You're financially secure. And there are others of you, you are in great financial distress. Some of you accomplished something that you always dreamed about. And for others of you, right before your eyes, your dreams came crashing down. We have varied experiences of life, but this is what is true of all of us. We cannot control any of these life experiences. We can't make things happen or keep things from happening. The writer of Ecclesiastes is clear in communicating our frailties, that we simply are not in charge. But the problem is we desperately want to be in control of our life. It gives us a good feeling. And whether you like it or not, we all 
are control freaks. However, our life experiences confirm that we are not in control. God is, and that's good news. The seasons of our life are governed by a sovereign God who views everything from a different vantage point. We are like little children trying to comprehend every experience of life, asking the why questions, because we want to know everything. Now, have you had a kid in the why stage of life? We have one right now, our four-year-old. Whenever he opens his mouth, there's a why question. Why is the moon round? Why is this toothpaste blue? Why do fish live in water? Why should I wear my pants? And these questions are asked not to exasperate you as a parent, but out of sheer curiosity as they're learning about this big, crazy world. You know, in some ways, we are like that in our relationship with God. In the various seasons of life, we ask the why questions to God because we want the blueprint for our life. We are uncomfortable with the unknowns and the uncertainties that are surrounding us. No, but as hard as you can try, there are very little answers to the why questions of life. And that's simply because we don't have the big picture. But here's the good news. And we have a God who has the big picture, who sees the end from the beginning, and He is working out His plans and His purposes in your life and in this world. So Solomon says, taking this into consideration in verse 11, he has made everything beautiful in its time. He has made everything, all things beautiful in its time. The word used there for beautiful actually means appropriate or fitting. The seasons of your life, the varied experiences that you are going through may not make sense to you, but it does to God. The long winter is necessary and serves as a preparation for the spring season that brings new life. Now, I personally don't like jigsaw puzzles. It takes a lot of patience and time to solve this and put this all together. But I tell you, it's a great depiction of life. So when you look at an individual piece in the jigsaw puzzle, at the outset, it looks random. It appears to be weird. The shape doesn't make sense. But in the end, every piece fits together. Every piece contributes to something. You can't solve the puzzle when there is a missing piece. The final picture wouldn't be right unless it has all the pieces in order. So are the seasons of our life. They all are necessary for the end product God has in mind for each one of us. They all have a role to play in the person you will become. Now let me say this clearly. Everything is not beautiful. Cancer is not beautiful. Death is not beautiful. Financial loss is not beautiful. Our hurts and pain 
They are not beautiful. Breaking of relationships is not beautiful. The Bible doesn't say everything is beautiful, but it says God makes everything beautiful. If you leave God out of the picture, you cannot withstand the mayhem. But when you relinquish control over your life and yield your rights to God and surrender your life into his hands, that's when things start to change. For then you come to realize God is a chief architect. And this chief architect takes the awful, not so beautiful things in our life, he turns it around by his transforming power, works all things for our good, and makes everything beautiful out of it. An old chorus says it well, something beautiful, something good. All my confusion, he understood. All I had to offer him was brokenness and strife, but he made something beautiful of my life. As a Christian, know this for sure. No season of life will you go through that doesn't reflect God's purpose. It all fits together in the grand scheme of things. Solomon says something else in our text that is powerful. The last part of verse 11, Solomon says, he has also set eternity in the human heart. And you need to know the life experiences of the one who's writing these words. Solomon enjoyed the best season of life, humanly speaking. He had the good life that anybody can ever dream of. The time that he ruled was the golden age in Israel's history. Now, you can understand if this cry of despair that you see in Ecclesiastes comes during the time when, Israel, when the Israelites were slaves in Egypt. But when Solomon was in power, they had the best days that they ever had. And yet, Ecclesiastes speaks about everything being vanity. Solomon immersed himself in pleasure, wealth, success, education, building projects, entertainment, you name it, he had it. And all of that, he says, failed to satisfy. It was G.K. Chesterton who said something so profound that we in our North American society need to adhere to. Hear these words. Meaninglessness doesn't come from being weary of pain, but meaninglessness comes from being weary of pleasure. Meaninglessness doesn't come from being weary of pain. It comes from being weary of pleasure. And Solomon is a classic example of that. He had exhausted all forms of pleasure. And after all that, his experiences simply let him down. They failed to satisfy and that is a clear message for our generation. That satisfaction cannot be found in the stuff that we accumulate. It's not in power or name or fame or our accomplishments. If you look for ultimate meaning in the pleasures of life, they cannot deliver it. They will leave you high and dry. And that is why after all of these experiences, Solomon concludes, 
God has put eternity in our hearts. The finite things of life will never be able to satisfy the deep void within all of us. And Ecclesiastes presents the gospel message crystal clear. Some say that Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes as a repentant man who once had strayed away from God, but had returned back to him in the final stage of his life. Solomon regularly interacted with rulers and authorities from all around the world. And he possibly wrote this book like a gospel tract to the nations. And that's why there's no mention here of the Jewish law. The word used for God is not his covenantal name, Yahweh, but the title Elohim, meaning exalted God. So Solomon is speaking to the nations of his time, communicating this truth that God is the only one who can satisfy the cravings of our heart. And the book of Ecclesiastes ends with these words, and we have to keep these words in the rearview mirror as we read through this book of Ecclesiastes, the 12 chapters. Look at Ecclesiastes 12, verses 13 and 14. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Fear God is just another way of saying honor God. Live in obedience to him. It simply means take God seriously. For without God, you cannot make sense of life. No matter how hard you try. But with God at the center, life takes on new meaning. We have a new motivation that shapes how we live and why we do what we do. The famous novelist and celebrated writer, Ernest Hemingway, lived in the 20th century and was a popular man of his time. He won the Pulitzer Prize and the, later the Nobel Prize in Literature in 1954. And his books reflected his worldwide adventures and the extravagant lifestyle that he lived. He lived the fullest life one can possibly imagine. It became an icon of his day and age. But Ernest Hemingway ended up taking his own life. And this is what he wrote in his suicide note. Life is just one damn thing after another. Think about this. The greatest writer of his century, who lived a full life of adventure and travel, who was lauded by so many people, and who won the highest awards in his field of expertise, puts a shotgun in his head and kills himself. Hear me. Without God, life makes no sense. I want us to watch this video of a couple from our church just so you can see the contrast. This couple, they will share about the story of how God has become the center of their life and how he brings meaning and purpose to everything that they do, including their vocation. So let's watch this video.
early mornings, Caleb and Kitty are reminded of God's miraculous provision for them. He's been a big part of their lives for many years now. And for the last three years, a big part of their coffee shop, sought and found on the edge of downtown Calgary. God has given them opportunities to share his love with those in their community. They found courage to respond to a calling, to pursue their passion, and to find a role in God's mission. We're all called to be missionaries at different times in different areas. And starting a small business means long hours and less time outside of the shop. But Kitty and Caleb still feel a strong calling to be on mission. So naturally, they've shifted their focus to introducing Jesus to the people they work with their partners, their staff, and the customers who have become their friends through the way they live and the relationships they build. There have been many trying times over the years. At one point, they remember being down to almost nothing to live on. Then, Caleb's grandma, who didn't know about their situation, lovingly gave them some money. She just felt it was something she wanted to do. There are still times of doubt, times when they feel like they've lost sight of the plan God has for their lives. Caleb had doubts of God's truth when he was challenged with a secular perspective of the world and humanity in his studies at university. Sometimes grappling with the world's perspective versus Christ's view is important in this life. The focus on comfort, financial stability, or a new car. But remembering God's provision in their life brings things back into focus. His timing is always right. Although being business owners is demanding, life is more than just the coffee shop. Their two-year-old daughter Cadence has brought joy and balance to all they do. Caleb and Kitty have determined that everything they have is from God and that they will live to further God's purposes in this world. They're honored to partner up with Wycliffe Canada for fundraising and creating awareness of Bible translation needs in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Recently, Kitty and Caleb started a partnership with a mission in Southeast Asia to buy green coffee to sustain missionaries. The project aims to approach churches in Canada who currently purchase coffee from conventional sources and offer them an option to purchase quality and ethical coffee, all with a story. There are times when they're tempted to have the perks and options they see around them, but through trusting God in everything, they're learning what true freedom means. Running the shop reminds them of God's blessings and opportunities that he's put in their life. Please pray that they'll always remember the hard times where God showed up to help and to provide so they'll continue to trust in him and know how God is calling them to live on mission today and every day. This story is a great example of how God infuses our life with His meaning. There's something else uh, Solomon says here in our passage that I want to focus on as we finish. This is surprising coming from Solomon. And this is the thread of joy that I talked about that runs all the way through Ecclesiastes. Uh, Listen to verses 12 and 13. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy 
and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil, this is the gift of God. It's important we understand Solomon. Solomon is not saying pursuing pleasures is wrong. And the Bible is clear. Christians ought to enjoy life, not just endure it. Laughter, relaxation, and fun are not anti-Christian. We are guilty today of the paralysis by analysis. We plan so much about the future, take all the permutations and combinations into consideration. We strategize, we analyze, we overthink, and in all of this, we forget to live life in the present. Oh, yes, life has painful seasons, and we all have to make important decisions and plan for the future. But being happy and living a life of contentment is a gift of God. God is not opposed to pleasure. In fact, He is the one who gave us the ability to experience pleasure. So that's why Solomon says, eating, drinking, finding satisfaction in our work, they are God's gift to us. We make a fundamental mistake when we equate all pleasures with sin. Pleasure in itself is not sinful. It's pleasure without boundaries and principles that turn into sin. It's when we start worshiping the gift and forget the giver that pleasure turns into a sinful activity. But there's nothing wrong in rightfully enjoying the gifts God has freely given to us. And that is why the Bible says, for everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. Here's a good test as to whether a pleasure is legitimate in your life or not. Can you give thanks to God for it in prayer? Do you feel good about including it in your thanksgiving, or would you be embarrassed to mention it? You can thank God for the gift of sex, provided you're using the gift within the boundaries God has instituted. You can thank God for food, provided it doesn't become an addiction or a drug of choice. You can thank God for your wealth when money doesn't control you or master you and make you live a self-indulgent life. Thanksgiving is a wonderful way to differentiate the true and illegitimate pleasures in your life. If you can't give thanks to God for something, then that thing shouldn't be in your life. And Solomon would agree with us that those who have a relationship with God ought to enjoy life more than anyone else. In fact, Jesus came to give abundant life. He has forgiven us, broken our chains, given us a new outlook, a new perspective of life so that we can live life to the full. So this season of thanksgiving, open your eyes to the beauty of the everyday gifts that God lavishes on us, that which we take for granted. This week, intentionally take advantage of the simple 
legitimate pleasures of life. Enjoy a cup of coffee. Relax and watch a good movie or sports this long weekend. Make a great meal for Thanksgiving. And would you just forget about your diet this weekend, just this weekend? <laughs> Why do you think God made food taste so good, so different, so flavorful? Isn't it for us to enjoy? So this weekend is about savoring the gift of turkey and stuffing and all the good things that go with it. So relish your Thanksgiving meal and don't forget to help yourself to a double portion of the dessert. <laughs> it's good preaching, right? <laughs> <laughs> More importantly, don't live your life in isolation, but spend quality time with family and friends. Maybe call a friend you haven't talked to in a long time and connect with them. The gift of relationships is so important. And when your four-year-old asks, why do I have to wear pants? Don't be exasperated by that. This too shall pass. Treasure those memories as a family. You know, there are many things in our life, many things that we cannot control. But let them not steal our joy. For we have a God who walks with us faithfully in every season of our life, and He makes everything beautiful in His time. I'm going to ask us to stand as we come to an end. We're going to maintain a moment of silence, and I want us to ponder over a couple of things. I know there are some of you here, you are in a season right now that's just not making sense. And you're enduring it, and you're wondering, why? Why do I have to go through this? What good can come out of this? I know God wants to speak to you specifically today to encourage you, to let you know that He is a sovereign God and in His providence, He is well able to bring something good out of even not so beautiful things. And for others of us, this is a wonderful opportunity to give thanks to God. Thank Him for the gift of people who are in your life, for the good things that He has blessed you with. So let's maintain a moment of silence and reflect on those two things. And after that, I'll close in prayer. Lord, in your presence there is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. We thank you, Lord, for meeting the deepest needs of our heart. What an amazing miracle it is when you opened our eyes to the truth of who you are.
that life is meaningless without you, that we came to that realization. And because of that, we are full. We are satisfied. We are content. And we give you thanks for that. You are a sovereign God who's seated on the throne, high and exalted, and you hold every life here in the palm of your hands. You hold our world in the palm of your hands. So I pray for any person here going through a season of life that's not making sense. Would you reassure them that you have everything under control? Would you remind them that you're well able to take all things and bring something good out of it? That you are still a God who makes all things beautiful in your time. Your promises do not change. So may they hold on to you, God, even in this tough season. And I pray that you will carry them through. And we want to say thank you for the many gifts that you have lavished on us. You have been faithful to us. You have walked with us through the ups and downs of life. And we can entrust our future into your hands, the uncertainties of life into your hands, and trust in you and in your goodness. So this Thanksgiving, we can help us, Lord, to overflow with gratitude for all that you have done in our lives. And even as we leave this place, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of our Heavenly Father, and the sweet, unfailing fellowship of the Holy Spirit may rest and abide with each and every one of us, both now and forevermore. Amen.